another week, another NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here with Kyle Irving. KI, what's going on, my guy? It's a good day, Gil. We got the in-season tournament semifinals. I mean, this pod's not going to drop until after we know the results, but after the way the quarterfinals delivered, I'm looking forward. I mean, these guys are in Vegas. They can taste the celebration at this point. They're getting a feel for what that atmosphere might be like. And I think we're going to have two good semifinal games on our hands tonight, man. Yeah, you're talking my language. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, December 7th. Uh, we will get the Pacers, Bucks, and then Pelicans, Lakers, which is a rivalry in itself. Obviously, you'll probably, you will hear this after those games. You might hear this after a uh, champion is decided. But if you hear the excitement in our voices, it's because we're looking forward to this in season tournament doubleheader with the semifinals. Um, obviously, we can't t- talk too much about games that will uh, have happened after you guys hear this. But that being said, I think we can speak on just the fact that it's been an overwhelming success. You know, you mentioned the quarterfinals a little bit. I, I tweeted about it that, you know, it was Monday in December and everybody was locked into two regular season games. Technically, they were happening in Indianapolis and Sacramento. Um, even the Bucks game that was a blowout delivered as well. Um, and we saw a little bit of everything. And I, it just feels like um, now that people understand what's going on and they can get behind the excitement about it and have another reason to be excited about NBA basketball in the first quarter of the season, it's here to stay. It's going to stick. And people are going to, I guess, more and more people will, will, will get on board as, as it goes on. Yeah, I feel like after that quarterfinals round, I mean, even that first game between Boston and Indiana, like everybody mm-hmm. – just all over Twitter was like, man, the in-season tournament is incredible. I know myself personally as a, as a multi-sport fan, like it, there's, it makes no sense for it in the NFL because every game has so much right. meaning individually as is. But like MLB would be out of their minds to not try and replicate something like this. I would love tuning into an in-season tournament in uh, Major League Baseball. And I'm sure there are other baseball fans that are listening to this that are, are probably feeling the same way in a long season. I mean, the way that the NBA kind of, like they just kind of like threw this at us and it was like, Hey, hopefully people kind of latch on and hopefully this works out. And I think like, who was it? It might've been Dame or somebody had said something along the lines of like, I'm sure there are teams that wish they took the early like group stage games of the in-season tournament a little bit more seriously to like get to the point that these teams are at now in Vegas and they're doing media availability. Like it's, you know, a playoff game and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, the atmosphere delivered, uh, I felt like the intensity delivered, even in the games that, you know, weren't as close as say the, the Suns Lakers or Celtics Pacers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really did have everybody locked in on individual games in the beginning of December on nights that, you know, maybe someone would have been like, well, I'm going to watch a Christmas movie instead of watching NBA basketball. Like everybody was locked into the same games and everyone was following along at the same time. And it was a really, really exciting like environment, um, you know, both on the internet and watching it in, in person. So, you know, I'm excited to see what these semifinals have to deliver as well. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there. I think the thing that I enjoy the most about big NBA games, whether it's like the Christmas Day slate or uh, playoff games or whatever the case may be on social media, everybody's watching it and reacting and noticing different things uh, at the same time. And you can kind of kind of say you, you watch the game as a family, right? As an NBA Twitter family. I'm not calling it by the other name, uh, but the NBA Twitter family kind of <laughs> watches the game together and, and we all react to things that are going on, whether it's a team coming up short or a guy making a big play uh, or, or whatever the case may be. So to get that feel early on in the season, um, I think that's good. And I'm sure we'll talk more about, you know, the in-season tournament looking back uh, once we crown a champion this weekend. Um, but one last thing I will say about these games is that they all kind of felt like playoff series in one game, right? Like the first quarter and a half felt like everybody's kind of feeling it out, getting an idea of what was going on. Um, then it's like, okay, wait, 
you get towards halftime in the third quarter, it gets kind of pivotal. And then fourth quarter, it's winning time. It really did feel like a game seven because it was uh, win or go home. Now, one thing I did say about uh, this tournament is that it, it made us interested in games going on a quarter of the way through the season. I know in years past, we've always looked at NBA All-Star as the unofficial midway point of the year, even though it comes like 50, 60 games in. But this actually comes 20 games into the season. And it does kind of feel like the first quarter buzzer has has kind of gone off uh, for the 2023-24 season. And there's a lot to take in. I know we did a 10-game check-in with what, what's real and what isn't. But now that we're kind of a quarter of a way through uh, with things, there's a lot to take in. And, and, and I'm curious, you know, as we take a snapshot of, of how things are, what do we even make uh, of this season so far as far as contenders, as far as teams that haven't come up and lived up to that contender billing just yet? There's been a lot of good. There's been some bad and there's also been a lot of ugly. So where do we even begin? Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a great point about the in-season tournament being like a quarter point checkpoint for the season because All-Star always felt like that unofficial halfway checkpoint. Um, and I, it almost feels that way just from a scheduling standpoint too, because mm-hmm. there are so many days where like, it's just the in-season tournament games. And then every team that didn't qualify is playing on those days in between. We have like a couple Sundays off with no games at all. So it's like really giving teams uh, a chance to, you know, rest their guys that haven't been fully healthy, maybe give them an extra week, uh, just to get back on track. And then like, even like watching some of those games last night, like it almost did kind of feel like that post all-star break of like, all right, take a deep breath. We made it through the first quarter of the season. Um, you know, maybe we weren't playing so hot at the beginning of the year. Maybe we, we were really on a hot streak and now like teams are trying to like, you know, turn the tides a little bit. Players are trying to break out of slumps or, or, you know, keep hot streaks going and stuff like that. So I do think that the in-season tournament is going to serve as kind of like, you know, a nice little refresher early in the year for uh, teams that, you know, maybe didn't have such a hot start and are looking to turn things around. Yeah. You mentioned that. I think something that that's a great point, like how it's after all-star break. Um, I think it was something we looked at with, guys who get their career highs. And a lot of times it happens, you know, in those games after a, a big layoff. And the first game post-in-season tournament for a lot of teams, you get Paolo Carroll with a new career high, I think 42 points. Desmond Bain goes off for 49. And Joel Embiid <laughs> goes off for 50 points. So it does have that feel uh, of things, too, of just like, you know, this layoff guys are feeling a little bit fresher uh, than they normally have. And, and then teams get an opportunity to actually have practice. I think that's something that we don't necessarily think about so much with respect to professional sports, but specifically the NBA, these teams and these franchises and these players, they don't get a chance to have real practices during the regular season because they're always traveling. Um, guys are banged up. Um, and then they just have kind of walkthroughs. So, I mean, even teams that are in the in-season tournament, having that quick break where they play, you know, on that Saturday or Friday and then don't play again until a Monday or Tuesday, they get some some real time off. So I think it's showing in the results. Now, I guess I'll start with, with Desmond Bain. I mentioned there was good, bad, and ugly. He had 49 points against the Pistons who have now lost 18 games in a row. They started season two and one, and now they're two and 19 at the time of recording. They have so much talent in Detroit. New head coach and Monty Williams, who is going to be there for the long run based on the, the contract they gave him this offseason. But the question, I guess, that comes to my mind is what gives? Like to lose 18 games in a row, not win a single game in the month of November, that definitely qualifies as the ugly from the first quarter of the season. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of want to bounce a question back to you right away. They're not going to get to 26 straight losses, right? Like they're not going to match the longest regular season, individual season losing streak in NBA history, right? Like they, they're going to win before they get to 26. 
logic tells me that they that they will find a way. Um, as we sit here and talk about this, their upcoming games at Orlando against the Pacers, against the Sixers twice, Bucks, Hawks, and then Jazz. That's not exactly a cakewalk. That's not exactly a cakewalk. I I I don't know, Kyle. (laughs) If if they were going to snap that losing streak, I kind of feel like last night would have been the one. Like you're playing a completely depleted Grizzlies team that has also been struggling and underperforming the entire year with key guys out of the lineup. And like you would think that this kind of little buffer that we just talked about would be a moment to take a deep breath, get some practice reps in, give Monty Williams a chance to figure out the rotation that he keeps toying around with all season long. Uh, they can't seem to find rotations that are clicking and then they go and let Desmond Bain put, you know, 40 on their head. Like I, I would have thought last night would have been the one. And now I'm starting to get a little worried for them because I wrote something over on the sporting news, uh, last week when their, uh, winless November got to 16 straight L's <laughs> and it was just kind of rehashing some of those teams that have been on the longest losing streaks in NBA history. Uh, one of them being the process Sixers and man, that roster is terrible. Mm-hmm. Even in retrospect, it's, right somehow worse than it was in real time. Like when you're going back and looking at some of the names, the other one was uh, the other team that lost 26 straight was the Cavaliers. The first year that LeBron moved on to Miami and that team was really bad as well. I mean, they had Kyrie, but you know, he was a rookie. There's only so much you can do as a rookie, as we're seeing with Victor Weminyama right now, as mm-hmm. I should probably whisper into the mic that, you know, they've also sneaky lost what 15 games in a row, I think. And people aren't really talking about it. So I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. When we're talking about the ugly, but you know, this this Pistons roster, all that say, this Pistons roster has more talent than those mm-hmm. other teams that we just talked about, than that Cavs team, than those process Sixers teams. So I'm really starting to wonder, like, what's going on in Detroit that things just aren't clicking? I mean, Jaden Ivey was the 11th man off the bench last night. They took him with a top five mm. pick last year. Like, Cade Cunningham, who I'm still a huge fan of, but just doesn't really seem like he's taking that leap that people expect him to make coming off of that injury last year, especially after having a productive Team USA camp this past summer. Uh, it just makes me wonder what's going on in Detroit because guys like Jalen Duran are playing really well. Like they have young guys that should be able to contribute. And yet like here they are eight wins shy of a, a NBA record in the wrong way. Yeah. That, that stretch that I just spelled out, I think that was their next six games before they take on Utah who lost by 50 to the match. I should have mentioned that too. Luka Doncic had a 40 point triple double. Um, and he had a triple double in the first half. So the first player, uh, in NBA history to have a triple double in one half of basketball. So it's not going to get any easier for this Pistons team. Ultimately, I do think that they figure it out maybe in the second half of the season. Um, but right now this is just, this is just really tough for them. Um, and they've, they've, they've competed too. I, I watched them play against the Knicks probably longer than I, would like to admit that I did um, last week, but and they hung around, they fought. So it, it, you mentioned the talent does speak for itself and it shows, but it's not translating into wins right now. And I think it's just weird combination uh, of talent that is undeniable. Um, and then a new coach is trying to figure it all out on the fly. Um, and, and I know that once those losses start to pile up, it does get a little demoralizing and, and you don't really know uh, what the answer is. We will swing back to the Spurs who have lost 15 in a row. I think the interesting thing about both of these two teams that they both started off over 500, it was the Pistons at two and one, the Spurs at three and two, and then they've lost 15 straight ever since then. But at the risk of scaring our listeners away, we'll we'll get back to some more bad and ugly. But let's talk about some good real quick. Um, Kyle, first of all, I'm going to ask you, would you have expected that a quarter of a way through the season, the Timberwolves would have the best record in the NBA? Definitely not. I mean, you and I talked about the Timberwolves and we were both, 
you know, kind of heaping praise on them uh, about like the way mm-hmm. they're getting it done defensively. Uh, Anthony Edwards taking that leap like everybody expected. Um, but, you know, for them to be standing at the top of the, at the top of the table in the West, uh, you know, a quarter of the way through the season, I don't think anybody could have predicted that. Uh, the, the Rudy and Cat experiment needed time and it was clear last year. I mean, Cat obviously missed most of the season. I think he only played 20 something games. So, you know, they didn't really get to test that out the way they would have liked to. And it's clicked faster than I would have thought it would to start this year. But they have a lot of guys who are, you know, they, they play with intangibles. Like they're, they're super versatile. They defend at a high level. Um, you know, and then led by Anthony Edwards, like that's, that's the superstar leap that we were expecting from him. But guy, even guys like Mike Conley are stepping up and, and playing big minutes for them and, and playing that veteran role that they really needed out of the point guard position. Um, it's just a, it's an impressive, like build the way that this raw, this Timberwolves roster is built, like to kind of form today's NBA with the, the versatility on the wing, but then also like go completely against the grain with like just two massive bigs, like clogging up the paint for, you know, a star who could really like benefit from having a runway getting downhill to the rim um so it's interesting the way that it's working but i mean i think they're for real i don't know if they'll finish with the number one seat in the western conference like i'm not going to sit here and pretend like they like i'm going to predict like they will i i'm not sure they will but i do think that they could end up being easily a top three team in the west in a serious threat uh come playoff time because that's going to be a tough team to beat in a seven game series yeah crazy stat about timberwolves they've been a franchise since 1989 Coming into this season, they had been first in the West for a total of 10 days. I, I believe they've been, at the time of recording, they've been at the top of the Western Conference for 17 days this season alone. Um, when I think about that and I look at the the, the team, you, you pointed out, you know, the guys, the big names, you know, Cat, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Edwards, figuring all those things out. Mike Conley, another guy who, um, you know, talking about age and, and defying father time, obviously he's not playing to the level of LeBron James. but who is first of all, but second of all, you know, guys like him and Al Horford and Chris Paul are our guys, Kyle Lowry, even the 36 plus guys, because, you know, KD and Steph are both 35. So they're in a different league of their own, <laughs> but the 36 plus guys who are still being really effective uh, for teams who have uh, really, really high aspirations this season. Um, I, I'm curious and I wonder how sustainable this is. Will it translate to postseason success um, in the Western Conference? Because I think we've seen it even with Rudy Gobert-led teams, right, uh, with the Jazz. Um, when you really think about it, a team that's built around a prolific guard on the wing and Rudy Gobert anchoring things on the inside, um, there, there was a, a little bit of a, a limit to the ceiling of, of what they could do. But I certainly think that they're going in the right direction. Um, they have the best defense in the NBA. And like you said, that's something that's that's super sustainable because throughout playing career, throughout following the game, people always say defense travels. If your shot's not falling, whatever the case may be, you can defend. And they do that at a very high level. So I think that uh, allows me to be confident in this Timberwolves team, at, at least, you know, to, to win around in the playoffs and, and build moving forward because this is a franchise that has not won a playoff series since I was 10 years old. So they're looking to do one before I turn 30 this spring. So we'll see if the Timberwolves can do that. No one's counting, though. No one's counting when you're, yeah, when no you're turning counting, 30. Yeah, 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 stay put. You're good at 29. But <laughs> no, I mean, Rudy Gobert being back to a defensive player of the year caliber player is is obviously massive and he's the anchor of that team. But, you know, having guys like Jaden McDaniels, guys like Kyle Anderson, like Nas Reed, like guys who can defend multiple positions and do it well. Um, Anthony Edwards is like really taking pride in being a two-way player, like not just the offensive minded, you know, chucker that people thought he might've been as a prospect. Like he didn't really care about the defensive end in college. Like the guy just wanted to go out there and get buckets. And now he comes into the NBA and like, he really takes pride in like 
stopping the other team's best player. And that's massive to have when you can have guys like that. I mean, you look at guys like Kawhi Leonard who have done it at such a high level, like Jason Tatum is someone who does it at a high level. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously, like when you have someone that good on the wing who can like really take pride in coming up with stops on top and giving you like almost 30 points a game, you know, that's a recipe for success. But um, I had another team for the good and I am going to classify them in the good for the time being. What do we think about the Clippers, man? They just came away with a big win over the Nuggets last night, seven and three since Russell Westbrook, you know, kind of put his pride aside and moved to the bench, which I give him a ton of credit for doing. I almost don't feel like it's being mm-hmm. talked about enough that Westbrook was really kind of willing to raise his hand and be the guy that's like, you know what? There aren't enough basketballs on the planet. I think PJ Tucker said that the other day, or did I get, I might've got ball yeah. sack sports. I, I don't really know did. what was going on there, but on Twitter, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> like if, if he didn't say that, you know what? It would have been a quote that actually. Uh, would have sufficed for this team. But, you know, there's not about enough basketballs on the planet to, you know, suffice for Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. So for Russ to put his hand up and be like, you know what, I'll come off the bench. We'll see how this thing works. And for them to go seven and three in that stretch, picking up wins over good teams in that span to get back to 500. I mean, are, are you starting to believe what you're seeing from the Clippers? I actually am a, a little bit. You know, when I think about like the tiers of, of contenders in, in the NBA and specifically the Western Conference, um, ultimately it's a talent driven league and, and they have plenty of that, right? Um, you know, thinking about the way they got that win over the, the, the nuggets. And it's obviously much more than, than looking at the box score and, and, and looking at who did what and who took this many shots or what have you. But it does feel like everybody is starting to get comfortable with one another and comfortable with the roles that they have to take on just given who is there, right? And, and and I think that if anybody, you know, learned something about Kawhi Leonard when he was at Toronto, that he does want to get his shots, what star wouldn't, and a player of his caliber certainly is within his right to want to get the touches that, that he that he wants and he demands. But I also think that he's much older than he once was, as, as is Paul George. And I think that that level of sacrifice and, and, and the desire to want to win again will supersede anything else. And, and seeing that James Harden kind of, figure out, you know, how to set up Zubats and and really when to pick his spots as a scorer, but also when to pick his spots as a distributor and a playmaker and, and how everybody else is falling in line. And Kawhi Leonard, ultimately, I think, is just happy with winning. So I certainly think that, that you know, people might not pay attention to this because they were just so eager to to dunk on this team when it was struggles out of the gate. But now that they're figuring things out and, and Russell Westbrook, again, deserves credit for coming off the bench and figuring out his spots, you know, whether it's rebounding, attacking, doing the things he does best. That's a team that these guys are, are, are battle tested and playoff tested. And when I think on the flip side, the way that they play does fit, you know, the narrative of, of playing in the postseason because when things break down and the game slows down, you need guys who can make plays. And now James Harden, is the third guy who's expected to do things in the playoffs and maybe even the fourth, depending on any given night, uh, given the talent on that roster. So it's time to to pay more attention to that. Uh, The only problem is a lot of times with that franchise and some of the guys on that roster have nothing to do with this. But when you pay attention to that franchise, things kind of fall apart. So that's going to be interesting to see if that happens with, with the Clippers moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting to me that Ty Lue had said this has like been one of the biggest challenges of his career, just trying to figure out how to manage mm-hmm. All of these guys. And, you know, you would expect that from four ball dominant future Hall of Famers who like, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. all want to get their shots, but also like kind of want to play unselfish. And it's a weird mix of like, you know, OK, is it your turn, my turn type scoring? Like, it, all right, I just took a couple shots in a row. So maybe it's like James time, like time to get a couple shots up. Like, but at the same time, knowing when to pick your spots and be selfish and not be too passive. Jamal Murray said it after the game last night. He's like, 
I honestly feel like James Harden could take more shots, man. And, and, you know, that is not something that James Harden really needs to hear. I feel like, like he's going to get his no matter what. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there have been times, even in Philly last year, where it felt like he was being like overly passive. And there were times where I'm like, man, like put your head down and get to the bucket or like, you know, try and get to that lethal step back. Like you're passing up open looks, uh, passing up catch and shoot opportunities, put the ball back on the deck and try and like make something else happen. It's like, you know, you're out there for a reason. They traded for you for a reason because they felt like they needed your, you know, level of like prolific playmaking. So, you know, like you said, this is a team that feels like they're more built for uh, like the postseason, even though, you know, a lot of the guys on that team have had shortcomings in the playoffs over and over and over again, Kawhi not being one of them. But, you know, this is the time for them to get all of that stuff ironed out. And it's cool to see that they are starting to figure it out. But like you said, it seems like every single time that the spotlight gets put on the Clippers, they find a way to come up short, whether it's, you know, blowing a 3-1 lead or, you know, really just anything that could possibly go wrong will. That has been, you know, the history of the franchise at this point. So I'm curious to see if, you know, someone like Kawhi can help get those other stars over the top. Well, let's not forget, Kyle. They said that you know once they figured out the bubble wasn't being taken seriously, they didn't want to win anymore. So that's that was like the blew. lamest quote <laughs> I've heard the entire year. That was from Lou Will, man. I expected better from Lou Will. I, that was so lame. That made me mad. I'm not gonna lie, it made me mad. You guys lost. A, you guys blew a three one lead. Like, yeah, you guys blew a three one lead, man. Like, you can't come back and be like, oh, we weren't trying. Like, that's that's like the person who's playing two K and like they're getting their butt whooped and they're just like, oh, all right, but I'm gonna start trying now. And then they still lose by twenty. Like, what what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's funny you mentioned they did lose that series to the Nuggets, so maybe we should have seen the signs there that the Nuggets are going to be pretty special. Before we go to a break and get to a little more bad, I, I was thinking about this and thinking about how to frame this question. We talk about the teams that are at the top of the table in the East and the West. I didn't even mention the Celtics; um, they're right there with the Bucks. If I were to fast forward six months from now to the middle to end of June um, and just show you a picture of a team hoisting Larry O'Brien, how many teams? Would you be surprised to see in, in, in that? And I guess surprise maybe is, is too strong of a word, but like I feel like outside of Denver, if it was any other team in that frame, I would have a bunch of questions about how they got there. Did they figure this out? Did they sort that out? As far as contenders go, I think Denver is still kind of in a class of their own just because they are the defending champs and they've dealt with injury this year and still looked really solid, having been lost at home yet. But everybody else pretty much has like, bigger questions i think you tier these contenders based on who has the most questions or the fewest questions to the most questions yeah i mean this is going to be like a boring answer but i mean i just like counted through the standings real quick because i wasn't ready for you to throw this one at me and like it feels like the answer is like (laughs) roughly eight like the way i'm looking at the standings right Mm -hmm. now like boston milwaukee i still like feel i still feel like philly even though they've kind of cooled off from that hot start once they traded james harden Mm -hmm. i still feel like they are one of those type of teams and then like maybe like one wild card in the east I mean, I, it's still hard to count out Miami. Like, it just is. Bam is playing Never so well. And Miami. Jimmy Butler really, like, picks and chooses his spots. Talk about someone who kind of flip-flops between, like, how hard do I feel like trying? Like, oh, well, I wasn't really trying that hard in that game. Like, Jimmy Butler really can kind of, like, switch it up like that. But then when you look at the West, like, obviously Denver is a team like that. I still feel like Phoenix is a team that can get over the hump. I'm going to lump the Clippers into that, you know, into that group of teams that I feel like could host the Larry O'Brien trophy just because of all the talent they have on their roster. And then again, it's sort of a lot like the Lakers are a team that obviously with LeBron James are always going to have a chance, but like, are we considering the Warriors title contenders still? I guess you can't really count Steph out. We learned that in 2022, the Timberwolves that we just spoke so highly of, like, could we really see them? You just said they haven't won a playoff series since when was that? Like you, you were a toddler. So like, you know, they were 
Yeah, 04. It's been a while. <laughs> KG days, man. MVP season. So yeah. they haven't won a playoff series since KG's MVP season. So, you know, could we really see them stringing together three playoff series victories? Like, it sounds far-fetched, even as talented as that team is. So I'm going to go with like a loose count of like eight teams with like six solid ones and like two wild cards in each each conference. No, that makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me. I like I like looking at it that way. Um, just because, and so many things are going to sort out. You know, we could go through this next quarter of the season and be like, okay, like now things are kind of straightened out a little bit. Same way we talked about the Sixers cooling off; they could heat up again. Um, some of these younger teams who are off to hot starts, like OKC, who they're still a, a little bit of a ways away, but they have proven, you know, to be ahead of schedule. Still, Orlando too ahead of schedule as well. Um, then I look at the teams that are really wild cards um, as far as maybe just making noise and eliminating a team who has legitimate title hopes as a team like the Kings or the Pelicans. Um, we saw it in the end season tournament, but also just the fact that they get the right matchup in the playoffs because, you know, the playoffs are so much about uh, matchups. And and again, I think the biggest takeaway from all of this, though, it does kind of feel like that that late 2000s, early 2010s NBA where you really have no idea who's going to make it out. A lot of it just depends on, you know, the way that the bracket sh- shapes up in, in each conference. Think about how the, the Mavericks won their title in 2011. Um, you know, the, the way things kind of happened in the late 2000s where, you know, I remember the Grizzlies kind of tanked to get the eight seed and they beat the Spurs in the first round. So it, it's exciting to know that we could get that type of postseason, at least the way it feels uh, a quarter of a way through the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, things can change, obviously, with injuries and, and everything yeah. like that. And, you know, maybe some of these young teams, like we haven't even mentioned OKC as a team that's like really exceeding mm-hmm. expectations. And they're a team that, you know, I kind of feel like they'll eventually regress to the mean. They probably won't end up as one of the three best teams in the West, the way that they're standing uh, at the top of the table right now. But they are a team that kind of falls in that same category that you were just talking about of if you get them in the first round, like you're not psyched to see that team. Shea is super dangerous. Like the yeah. guy is one of the best players in, on the planet right now. And he plays that way. Like Chet is playing with like unwavering confidence as a rookie. Uh, Jalen Williams has been awesome. Like they have pieces that could be scary in the playoffs. I mean, you know, even last year in the playing tournament, that was a team that no. Yeah. I mean, even last year in the playing tournament, like that was a team that felt like if they could get past the, the playing tournament range and, and get into the actual playoffs, like they could have made some noise the same way that the Pelicans made two years ago, uh, taking the Suns six games. So, you know, when you're looking at a team like OKC, that's young, has a lot of talent, they're feisty. Like those are the types of teams that could knock off the legitimate contenders uh, that we see at this point in the season. Yeah, one last point on Shea before we throw it to a break. Um, he just speaks so much. I think underrated part about him is that he's already played in the playoffs twice. You know, as a rookie uh, with the Clippers and then that surprising OKC team in the bubble, that will give him so much. Now he gets to be the guy for a playoff team, and he can bring those guys uh, uh, along, whether it's Holmgren, whether it's Jalen Williams, the rest of that uh, young core that they have. Having a guy that's been there before will help them so much, and I think that will allow them to be more primed to get a serious victory just because they have a guy who's been the, been there before, played in a Game 7. Lou Dort also played in a Game 7, had a massive Game 7, so got my eye on the thunder as this season goes on. We'll get back to a little bit more of the bad and maybe a little more ugly uh, as we come back from a quick break, but we'll throw it to a break, and then we'll have some more NBA first quarter of the season to talk about. We started with some ugly for whatever reason, then we talked about some good, for good reasons, but there is some bad or stuff that I'm curious of whether or not we can classify it as bad. I'm looking at you, Raptors, 9 and 12 through 21 games. 
six and six at home, three and six on the road. Coming off a loss to the Heat last night, I'll actually be in attendance tomorrow when they are in Charlotte to take on the Hornets. But it is bad too harsh for what the Raptors have shown this season because ultimately, right now, they're a half game out of the play-in tournament as it stands. Um, new coach, interesting pecking order, lost an all-star caliber point guard. Maybe this is just what we should have expected to begin with. Yeah, I mean, this team is just like they, I feel like we might have talked about it going into the season when we were kind of like previewing some Raptors stuff, but like they just feel like 41 and 41 to me. Like they are just like so right down the middle average. It's insane. Like they, they can't get out of their own way on some nights and other nights. It's like, oh damn, they really do have like a lot of these like young, exciting players. Like look at Scotty's development. Like OG can do this. Like Pascal has been up and down. Like it's been a roller coaster for him this year. And I think all of this leads me to say, like it just is time, right? Like at this year's trade deadline, I don't know. I mean, it's harder to get a, d- a deal done in season than it is in the off season, but like, it does kind of just feel like it's time, right? Like I know you have to give a new head coach time to like, you know, get used to the, get used to the team and see the pieces that he has and figure out a rotation. But like, you know, this is the writing has been on the wall for a little bit and I give the franchise credit for trying to like hold on and make it work with mm-hmm. guys that they drafted and groomed within their own franchise, like the player development system and everything like that. Like I give them a lot of credit for, holding on as tight as they can when really they definitely like most certainly have had moments where they probably have looked at each other and, you know, Messiah and Bobby look at each other and they're like, is it time to blow it up? And they're just like, you know what? Let's just give them one last chance. Like I respect that. I really do. But it just feels like at this point, like you have valuable pieces that you can get, you know, future valuable assets for in return. And this is not going to go any further than like the playing tournament in the first round exit. Like I just, I don't see that happening. So, like, at what point do they really just have to pull the plug and say, all right, let's move Pascal, let's move OG, and fully hit the reset button and move to the future? That's the thing that, that I actually wrote about this over at the Sporting News and just asked the question, you know, can Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes coexist successfully, right? Like, obviously, they can coexist. They've been doing it for three seasons, and by all accounts, they like playing with each other, and they probably like each other too, right? But what always stands out to me is, you know, when you look at the box score, almost nine times out of 10, specifically this season, if Pascal has a big big game offensively and plays to the best of his abilities, I guess, performs and, and contributes to the best of his abilities, then Scotty probably doesn't, right? And, and not to say that Scotty's going to have a bad game when Pascal has a good game, but looking at the numbers, it's very rare that you see both of them dominate in a way that we see the Jays do in Boston, the way that we've seen Luca and Kyrie do in, in Dallas, the way we've seen LeBron and AD do in LA. And obviously it's because of the overlap between what they do best. They're not the same player and that don't get me wrong. They're not the same player. But when you think about like what, when Pascal's at his best, he's getting downhill, um, he's creating for himself, he's creating for other people, he's getting rebounds, all of these things. If I were to go back and just replace Pascal with Scotty in that sentence, it would still be accurate. Getting downhill, creating for himself, creating for others, and really having that freedom and flexibility to do that. And I just think that ultimately they just kind of get in the way of one another, and that is not the model of success. I worry that it might be too late, that they didn't take advantage of the opportunities when they presented themselves, like you mentioned in the past, and the writing has probably been on the wall. We probably could have predicted things going the way they have. I know that they were at a similar juncture not last year, but the year before last, and ended up getting hot and winning 
what was it, 47, 48 games. But then we knew that once they got to the playoffs, they didn't really have a chance against that Sixers team, even though they were maybe a Joel Embiid game winner away. But now it, it does feel like with the impending free agency of Pascal, the impending free agency of, of OG Ananobi, we will probably start hearing some rumors get louder and louder as we approach December 15th and January 15th and the trade deadline because it, it is time to, to to do something like you said. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Fred Van Vliet said it the other day, like it was the writing was on the wall that everything is going to start mm-hmm. being built around Scotty. And I wonder if like, you know, like you said, Pascal and Scotty, like the whole team, honestly, feels like they really like each other, like they like playing with each other, but things just aren't really clicking. And I do wonder if there's like part of Pascal in the back of his mind that's kind of feeling the same way. Like, all right, man, I'm the all NBA, like all star level guy here, but I'm kind of getting slowly nudged out of the way in favor of, you know, a younger player who obviously has all star potential, um, you know, all NBA upside uh, if he, you know, reaches his full potential. So I, when you talk about like maybe they missed their window. I do think that one thing that works in the Raptors' favor is Pascal had put together enough of a resume over the last couple of years to kind of prove to teams that if he does become available on the trade block, teams are going to believe that they're going to talk themselves into the idea that, okay, well, he's mm-hmm. only you know having like a regression type year because of the situation that he's in, because he's splitting those types of touches right. in his spots with Scotty Barnes. And if we bring him to our franchise, we can get him back to being the you know, 25 point per game score, a guy who's facilitating rebounding, uh, you know, can defend at a high level. Like teams are going to talk themselves into that. And then OG and I feel like he speaks for himself just because he is probably one of the most, um, you know, like versatile pieces in the entire NBA, like the type of puzzle piece who can really fit in any organization. Like you can throw him, he's a plug and play type player. You can throw him into any lineup in the entire NBA and he's going to find a way to knock down threes, uh, you know, score off of cuts and defend the other team's best player and, and make life hell for them when they have the ball. So, you know, I think that those are two players that are really, really easy for other franchises to talk themselves into, even if they're not having the year the Raptors had mm-hmm. hoped they would have to boost their trade stock. I still think that they could get a really, really good return for those guys. But at the same time, like they need to make a move sooner rather than later because, and when I yeah. say sooner, sooner rather than later, I don't even necessarily mean at this year's trade deadline. Cause like I said, it's harder to get a deal done at the deadline, a deal that you want than it is in the offseason after teams have a full year to review what they just had and what they need moving forward. Um, but I would think that, you know, if it's not at the trade deadline with their impending uh, free agencies coming up and extension deadlines coming up, then, you know, the Raptors could have their hands tied a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say the one, one reason I mentioned those two dates, December 15th is when guys who were signing the offseason or a big group of guys become eligible to be traded. Then I believe December 30th is another date for more guys becoming eligible, same for January 15th. So fans out there listening to this, those are dates to keep in mind where you might hear uh, some more action as far as trades go. One last thought on that pairing. I wrote about this. We're getting to the point where we'll always wonder what would have looked like to have a lineup of Scotty and Pascal with sharpshooters and a rim protector that probably would have been the most uh sustainable type of way to find success around them but as we know for re- in recent years Raptors have had shooting issues and Jakob Pertl has been a really good rim protecting big but just personnel has not meshed so it is what it is now talking about stars and trades actually we recorded this a couple weeks ago and then missed the window because the news dropped after um but it was a- reported that Zach Levine the Bulls pretty much on the outs He's his representation clutch sports probably seeking a trade with him and then last night it was announced that zach levine will be out 
for three to four weeks with foot inflammation. So it leaves us to wonder, hopefully one, he's okay. But second of all, we might have seen Zach Levine's last action in a Bulls uniform and the lasting memory could be that photo of him just staring blankly while Jalen Brown got a crazy dunk in the in-season tournament finale. Yeah, they say pictures worth a thousand words, and that one might have been worth two thousand. <laughs> I mean, that said every everything that you need to know about what the situation looks like in Chicago. Um, I mean, hey, the same way that you had kind of called the downfall of the Memphis Grizzlies at the beginning of the year with the injuries they had mm-hmm. and waiting for Ja to come back, like you know, you and I, I feel like also hit the nail on the head when we were talking about how the Bulls probably have the most bleak situation in the entire NBA, and that's including teams like the Pistons and Spurs that we talked about that have lost eighteen and fifteen straight respectively. Um, it's just, it feels like they're at a dead end. Like they don't even have like, I mean, they have guys like Caruso and I guess Pat will like, they have some young pieces that they can move if they really wanted to like, you know, try and bring in other players to make this work. But at this point, I know that they know that the situation is not going to work out. And if Zach Levine is the guy that they have to move, you know, obviously a team like the Lakers are going to be interested. Like maybe the Miami Heat would be interested mm-hmm. after, after swiping or swinging out on uh, Damian Lillard. So. I'm curious to see where he ends up and if he can get back to being that like, you know, walking bucket type, like 28 point per game score. If he gets into a better situation where maybe he's playing with a little bit more passion and fire. But as of right now, like he's not doing much to help his trade cause either because, you know, he's averaging 21 points per game, which is, uh, you know, the least that he's averaged since 2017, 18, um, as I have the numbers up in front of me. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I do think that he's a player that teams could talk themselves into and, and, kind of say to themselves, all right, if we give him a new situation, we can get him being or get him back to being one of the best scorers in the NBA. But, you know, he's not exactly doing a ton to help his trade value right now. Yeah, two things I want to point out. One thing, you know, I know we mentioned the Sixers uh, when we talked about, you know, potentially making another trade for another star caliber player. And that's a team to keep an eye on, just the fact that they can package some of the guys they got in the Harden deal once they become eligible to be moved. Um, and now, you know, we mentioned them cooling off since that hot start. Maybe they enter that conversation again. I think the crazy part about it, we're talking about, you know, losing streaks since Zach Levine last played against the Celtics, the Bulls have won three in a row, right? Uh, and I know that sometimes there's not correlation and causation with some things, but maybe, you know, there there is um, something to be said about the fact that the ball's moving around a little bit more. Um, there's a little less confusion about who should do what or getting the star player, their touches and their shot attempts, and they can just kind of play more freely. So, I don't know if that's really a commentary on what Levine is or isn't, but regardless of what it is, you know, similar to, I think, the Wizards last year where they just had to cut their losses and it didn't seem like they got a massive return for Bradley Beal or Porzingis. But at the end of the day, they just just had to say, look, we can't do anything as constructed and we have to save ourselves somehow. We can't go in the past and and get those trades back that that they made that kind of put them in this position um but all they can do is, is kind of blow things up or retool or or something of the sort to to move forward but they're certainly um on that borderline between bad and ugly so we'll see if they're able to to kind of turn that around and at least give their fans something to be encouraged by you know for the next part of the season and beyond because strangely you and I know a bunch of Bulls fans and they're going through it. <laughs> yeah, they are going through it. One last thing that I feel like we didn't mention, though, is that Zach Levine is also expected to be out for three to four weeks now. So like he's going to be off mm-hmm. the basketball court for almost a month. And then uh, I think it's like right 
before, ironically, right before he becomes trade eligible is like around the time that he's going to be, uh, you know, ready and able to step back on the court. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're buying that. I don't know if I'm buying that, but I mean, <laughs> here we are. That's the situation that they're in and he's going to be sidelined for the next couple of weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see how those rumors pick up or die down. You know, I mean, it could die down for a couple of weeks now as he's dealing with an injury. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how things look in a month's time um, once he becomes trade eligible. Yeah, funny, funny how things work out. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Now, as we as we wrap up here, you know, we do shout outs, Kyle. I know sometimes it's pe- somebody that people might have their eye on. Sometimes it's not. But who you got this week? This week, I got Kyle Lowry. And I'm saying that quick and with confidence. Kyle Lowry, man, that that pregame media availability, I just really respected every single mm-hmm. aspect about that. Like there are times, like mm-hmm. I'm even thinking about like Tom Brady, for example, like as a Patriots fan, I'm thinking about mm-hmm. Tom Brady. Like they, he, I don't think like really ever like just came out and said like, no, I will sign a one day contract with the Patriots and retire a New England Patriot. Like that is the greatest player in the history of the NFL and the greatest player in franchise history. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, we couldn't even get that type of commitment out of him. And eventually he ended up doing it, of course. And they did, you know, the whole Brady day this right. year and everything like that. But like, I give Kyle Lowry a ton of credit for not really like kind of like, you know, playing the fan base or anything like that. And I wouldn't have expected that from him. He's always shown so much love right. and respect for the Raptors organization. But for him to come out and just be like, nope, like no farewell tour. I'm just going to say peace. I'm going to sign a one day contract with the Raptors and I'm going to retire a Toronto Raptor. I have a ton of respect from that for that. I think he also realizes that that might, uh, Boosts his chances a little bit to get that statue out in front of Scotiabank Arena, which is well deserved, and I think he should have. But you know, kind of just a hats off moment, and I, you know, had nothing but a smile on my face when I was watching the clips of that pregame media availability before his return to Scotiabank Arena last night. Yeah, that was like I, I said this uh, to, to Scott Rafferty, my guy Scott, just that the way that Kyle Lowry said that was just quintessential Kyle Lowry, right? They were like, "Are you, you got a farewell farewell tour?" He was like, "Hell no." First of yeah. all, and then he was like, second of all, like when, when it's, when we're getting towards the end, you'll know because I'm going to sign a one day contract and I'm retiring as a Raptor. No ifs, ands, buts are about it. So, you know, I think the love is, is mutual between he and that fan base. Um, and, and it always will be the you know, greatest Raptor of all time until further notice, until somebody else comes in and devotes as much time of their career as he did and wins a championship. So it's a really high bar. Uh, to meet with him, but but super awesome. I I completely agree with you on that. I know you wrote about that over at the Sport News. For those of you who missed Kyle Lowry's statement about retiring as a Raptor, you know what, Kyle, you made it pretty easy for me because you don't have to go too far uh, for my shout out. And, and by not too far, I mean right across the locker room. Jaime Hawkins, Rookie of the Month. The Heat have done it again. You know, I think we knew he was going to be good. He landed in the right spot to be good. Um, but I don't think we expect him to be this good through the first quarter of the first NBA season in his career. Um, looking at the numbers, 12 points, four boards, just under four boards, two and a half assists, shooting 52% from the field, 39% from three, um, and really been an X factor for this Heat team. Um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily, you know, if he's going to hit a rookie wall, you know, he was an older player coming out of college. So, and that usually doesn't affect older players as much as it does young guys. Um, but I think, 
you know, those who aren't watching the Heat that closely right now or who uh, won't really pay attention to the Heat until they're <laughs> given their favorite team nightmares this upcoming playoffs, he's going to be one of those guys, right? And, and this one makes a little more sense because he was a first-round pick where, you know, a lot of times it's the undrafted guys. But, you know, he's been a guy who, who's done super well, um, and I think that he'll continue to grow. And to think that this is probably the lowest level of play he'll be at in his career, I think that's an exciting thing for, for the Heat and their future. Yeah, I love that shout out. That's a great one because Jaime Hawkes has been awesome. And like when you're looking at a rookie class who, you know, probably has not uh, lived up to the expectations that it had with the hype that draft class had around it. Like a lot of guys are spending mm -hmm. some time and there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of guys are spending time in the G League to, right. to get their minutes. And a lot of guys are having trouble cracking the rotation. Like there's really only a handful of guys that are in the rotation on a nightly basis. Jaime Hawkes is one of them. And there are a lot of, you know, I guess I'll call it rumors. Like, who knows? I mean, I would assume that he was one of the players that the Trailblazers wanted in that deal really badly. And the Heat, like, felt the need to hold on tight. And I do remember seeing at the time on Twitter mm -hmm. and just kind of like the buzz around it. And, you know, I think people say this all the time when you're looking about looking into trading for a superstar of like Damian Lillard's caliber. But it's like, you know, who cares if you have a Jaime Hawkins if you get end up with Damian Lillard? And it's like, you know, this is kind of a moment that shows like the Heat knew what they had in their locker room like they saw him dominate in summer league they can see the work ethic he's someone whose game translates very very easily to the nba level as we're already seeing like he he busts his butt on defense like he really works hard on defense mm -hmm. um he has like some sneaky athleticism he has uh, you know i kind of talked about this in slack the other day but like he has some some sneaky poster dunks in college and we saw him i think it was a purdle that he like not didn't put on a poster last night but kind of had like a really nice drive and like a pretty thunderous dunk um, so, you know, and then he's someone mm -hmm. who can score from, from the mid range. He's someone that can score with his back to the basket. Like he's a really physical player. Uh, he's a big body and he uses his body well to score. Um, you know, he's a solid three point shooter, smooth shooting stroke. Like he's someone that, you know, I was pretty high on the pre-draft process. Now I'm not going to sit here and claim that I thought he was going to be, you know, rookie of the month, the first year into the, in the first year into right. his rookie season. But, you know, it's no surprise that Jaime Hawk is as someone who dominated college basketball at the level that he did has been able to come into an organization like the heat and the heater getting the most out of a player uh, that has the potential that he has. hundred percent. One last thing you mentioned, the draft class, eight rookies in the Eastern conference went ahead of Jaime Hawkes. And he was the one that was rookie of the month, first year of the year season of the first month of the year. Um, <laughs> but, and I know it doesn't mean that, but, but so much, but obviously um, it, it does mean more than not winning. It does. Right. So he could end up turning in, and all rookie level campaign. And again, he got another one. Um, he'll be a, a big part of what that franchise does moving forward. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's NBA Sound System. We'll be back next week to give a more fleshed out recap of the NBA in-season tournament because at that point we will have a champion and the first ever winner of the NBA Cup. I think they asked, who was it? Was it Kevin Durant? They was like, yeah, this is kind of like a championship, like the, like the Larry is the Gary instead of the Larry. Was it him that said that? Whoever it was, it was pretty funny, though. <laughs> I didn't see that quote. All I saw is that they asked Dame, Rachel Nichols asked Dame if uh, the team that wins should hang a banner, and he said, just give me my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then I saw Willie Green say that if they did win, that they would hang up a banner in New Orleans. Mixed feelings about that one. But whoever wins, we'll see how it goes. I'm expecting uh, three more instant classics out in Las Vegas. Thanks again for subscribing to this pod, wherever you get your podcast, please leave good feedback and continue to subscribe and continue to listen to NBA sound system. We'll give you new episodes each and every week as we head into the NBA's next 
big date, which is NBA Christmas. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. We will catch you back here next week.